0: Hey everyone and welcome to Funnelocity the B2B sales and marketing podcast where we exchange views with some of the top industry experts on what it takes to succeed in global demand generation and elevate the customer experience. We're your hosts, Gifford Morley Fletcher, senior marketing strategist, and Mary Kleinsorgan. That's me, principal consultant here at Market One. So let's get to it. This is Funnelosity. All right. Today's episode dives into key considerations when you're designing a lead to revenue process, whether you're just starting out or perhaps you're, you recognize some challenges within your existing process and you're looking to refine them.
1: So we have two guests with us today. Our first guest is Aaron Doherty, growth marketing leader at Pachyderm. Aaron is a mathematician turned marketer, one of the best kinds. So We love our data born marketers and he has over 12 years' experience in MarTech and analytics. He's been honored as a top ABM marketer by Sangram Vajray, and we've had the privilege of working with him last year at Market One as a fellow consultant. He's based in the Boston area, a father of three, outdoorsman, some say traitor, but award-winning genius. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me.
0: We're also joined by Jennifer Comisford, Principal consultant of customer experience here at Market One. she rejoins us after three years with Olive, where she established the marketing ops and analytics team. Jenny brings over 12 years experience with data integrity and performance insights, and she's recently designed a global measurement framework for Market One's clients, focusing on key metrics for measuring and optimizing demand. And when she's not working, she's avoiding the alligators in the Everglades and hanging out with her husband and her two terriers, Jack and Scarlett. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks guys. So there's going to be instances where organizations are just thinking about how to establish that lead to revenue process. And still there's organizations out there that are recognizing those challenges. They see the gaps in those processes. So this episode is properly entitled How to blow it out or blow it up and start again, how to evolve and not destroy your lead management process. And I think the one key question when you start thinking about, okay, well, we've got something in place or we're starting from scratch is really it comes down to how do you really get started with this? So Jenny and Aaron, really would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what are those key considerations when you're starting to think about implementing a lead to revenue
2: process? Uh, there are many <laughs> i think the, the the first is to to manage expectations i mean any any sort of project that you're gonna that you're gonna undertake is uh, is bound to scare somebody right somebody is really comfortable in the way that they're working right now and and the the first thing you probably want to do is to Assage some of those fears and manage expectations of everybody that's going to be involved. I mean, there's going to be people who are stakeholders in whatever's changing, and there's people who are going to be directly affected, the users of the process, right? so if you think about, you know, maybe your sales managers and your your actual SDRs, AEs, et cetera, you're going to want to set the expectations that things are going to change, but it's going to be super easy. And your job is going to become, you know, like a day at the spa or something like that. <laughs>
3: I think yeah I mean the, the the internal campaigning that has to be done can't be understated for sure I mean but honestly that's the case with just about any new process that you're going to be implementing into an organization I mean I think the whatever you can do to sell the value um, is going to massively help you in the long run so you know why should Sales management get on board with this. Why does marketing leadership need to care or participate? Um, you know, can the sales people actually be a partner in in the design process and actually be engaged? Um, you know, to, to gain that uh, buy in and participation, um, you really have to be able to, to to highlight how it's actually going to help the organization generate more pipeline um I mean that is it's a lofty statement to make obviously to say your lead management process is going to do that um but if it's implemented well and it's followed you're at least going to recognize more of it in your system whether or not you actually are 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 producing it and so I think that um you know you got to be able to tell that story
2: so my my mind goes the same place, the business case, right? Like I wanna put the numbers up on the screen and be like, look, zero dollars today, a billion dollars with the new process. And and as much as I like, as much as I I can't not do that, I'm gonna do that, right? It's gonna be a slide, it's gonna be the first slide. In fact, I I've also learned painfully that that's not enough for mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people. I mean, again, like the users of the process kind of like Okay, well, I'm hitting my commission now with with the existing process, so is my commission at risk with maybe a lease revenue flow that requires me to do a little bit more documentation as I'm as I'm creating opportunities and qualifying them, right? Um, that to me, I, I don't know, I think is about is that the hardest sell, and sometimes it's one to one. Hey, it's going to be okay, and sometimes it's it's sort of like through the influence process where you, you, you know, find, uh, uh, you find a champion, Mm -hmm. so to speak, someone who's, who's willing to like be an evangelist on the other team and, and, uh, and, and and convert them to your cause and get them to kind of sell it internally a bit.
3: Yeah. I mean, obviously like you're never going to be able to take everybody with you. Um, when you're trying to implement a change, I think the most important thing is to get management on board. Um, You know, I mean, when I was at DHL, we, for the longest time, like, our salespeople were still, like, we would go into pipeline review meetings and they would pull out their notes or, like, their, you know, their spreadsheet and and talk through (laughs) their opportunities. And you're logging into Salesforce going... Why, where is I don't, where are the notes? <laughs> you know so, so we really had to like campaign with all of the regional and sector sales managers to get them to a point of like where if it's not a, you know I don't come to another pipeline review meeting with a spreadsheet like pull up your dashboard and Salesforce show me what's going on and if it's not there then it doesn't exist you know and you had like mm-hmm. so I mean sometimes obviously you, you don't want to force where you don't have to, but it's, it's got to come from the top down. The management has to, has to make it a practice.
2: The, the stick, right? Not just the carrot, but the stick. Mm-hmm. Marketo, I'm sure I've told you guys this before, but Marketo and I, I, this always sticks me. I went to a, uh, I think it was inbound conference. I mean, circa 2014 or something. Uh, and these two marketers from Marketo shared this, shared this case study where they were trying to get sales reps to follow up on leads and they basically uh, sent an automated reminder to the rep if they hadn't followed up on the lead in in an hour, right? And if they still hadn't followed up on the lead in 12 hours, they sent a reminder to the rep and their immediate manager. If they still hadn't followed up in 18 hours, the next level up, the next level up, all the way up to, uh, I don't I don't remember, they, they call the CEO's name of Marketo, but it, all the way up to the CEO, right? So, so in theory, there was this stick hanging out there that fortunately they described never having had to use uh that you if you didn't follow up on your leave, you'd get an email you know copied you and the ceo on that which of course nobody wants right but but i wonder and and they didn't really get into this i wonder like how effective really is the stick as opposed to the carrot i mean if you're forcing somebody to do it, are they gonna do it genuinely? Are they just gonna write blah, blah, blah in the notes? And then all of a sudden, maybe you do have notes logged in Salesforce, but it's it's sort of the quality of those notes is not approaching anything helpful in the, in the way that you originally set out to do. I, I don't know the answer, I'm just just sort of wondering.
0: Now, I mean, I love the idea, and both of you touched on this earlier, um, but like this idea of like an ambassador program where you get some of your peers and you get different levels that are fully bought into this new process because they can help triage. So if, you know, individuals aren't following the process, if you don't, you do start seeing leads that are just starting to age out there, you know, you can have these individuals that are helping to mentor them and, and helping them see the benefit of this. And, Um, You know, I agree with you, Aaron, you know, I've tried, I've tried that in the past where you send the alert out, then you copy in the manager and then it just keeps going up and then you add a task into the system and really all of that goes ignored. So that's why it's, it's, you know, coming back to your, both of your original points is that's why it's so important to get this buy-in top down um, because in order for this process to be successful, there needs to be a common goal across all teams, it's not just a marketing thing, it's not just a sales thing, it's across the board in order to be successful.
2: Agreed, agreed.
3: Well, and it's how do you, yeah, and where I was starting to go is really the relationship between a BDR, SDR uh, team versus your senior sales reps, and, and really thinking through what you actually need from those two parties, because I may be able to get away with asking the SDRs or the BDRs to, to check a lot more boxes, click a lot more buttons, add more notes than I'm going to be able to get a senior exec to do. And so, you know, like thinking through, like, what is it you actually need from this person? How is it going to be used? And if if you can't have a really strongly articulated reason for having someone add that note or whatever, then like maybe it's not something that you really need to ask for. And then the other thing is it's, is, the whole construct is meant to hold both parties accountable to one another. So from the start, you need to be thinking about like how, how are we going to manage this together? What does that feedback loop need to look like? Because obviously like if the leads are crap, then that's why nobody's going to follow up on them. (laughs) So there needs, you know, there needs to be a mutual commitment that like, we're going to provide quality and therefore we expect you to actually, you know, do something with it. So I think, I mean, that hits on a few different things in terms of just how you actually structure the team in the construct of the process. How do you actually compensate the team? You know, like we at all of it, we, the BDRs and SDRs had a portion of their comp that was related to just activity. Like they were, you know, like, It's not just about leads. It's not just about source pipeline. It's like on the day to day, are you churning through what you're supposed to be doing? That's Um, the right approach that like that, you know, incremental
2: game theory approach, right. Where you, you assign the, the motivation, right. Comp in in this case to the thing that the Mm -hmm. business wants. If the business wants data, put motivation yep. behind data, right? We're already putting motivation behind yep. closed one deals. And that means if we're only focused on that, then we're sort of neglecting anything that's not a closed one deal. I think I think what you're talking about is exactly the right solution. And I'm, I'm, I'm still biting my tongue on that leads or crap note and just holding back all my Glenn Gary, Glen <laughs> Ross references right now.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right. There's like there's scenarios when the leads actually are crap, and then there's the scenarios where they're not crap, but sales is just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then there's then there's like this perfect world out there, like the North Star that almost no one achieves, where like the leads are good and sales follows up on them. Let me know when <laughs> you find that like, land. <laughs> <laughs> But that goes back to your points earlier around
0: setting expectations too. Like you have to set that expectation that when you get a lead, not everything is Mm -hmm. going to close. Not everything is going to turn into an opportunity. And yeah, I think that's been, I think I've certainly learned that lesson um, years ago where you know, we sent everything over and we created this SLA, this service level agreement with sales that, you know, within 24 hours, you absolutely have to make your first touch on every single lead that's sent to you. And, um, once they start seeing the quality of a lead and if the quality of a lead just doesn't meet their expectations, then that starts, then that starts impacting the rest of their process where they, like they, they lose that confidence Mm. in marketing and, that's where you lose system adoption as well. There's gotta be somebody
3: that sits between like, I'm sorry, like handing marketing leads straight to a sales exec is never going to work. Nobody can convince me. Otherwise there has to be some level of pre-qualification before it hits a senior exec's desk. And like, to me, it's, it is a, you can try alerts and escalating to leadership and, having leader view meetings every week and you can try whatever you want. Like, it's just.
2: So, so what, what is that qualification, errand. right? Cause I think there's, there's some weird trends happening right now. Like, um, I think the BDR role is kind of, you know, standard sort of sales practice. There's been a lot of more recently, last five, 10 years has been more of the, the, uh, MDR role the uh, marketing development rep so like a BDR who actually sits on the marketing team and then there's some weird questions about like how does their process get defined and you still kind of like you still kind of reach that you know that uh, there's nobody between you know standpoint because the MDR kind of like is rooting for the marketing team in some weird sense and so, so how do you how do you make that happen I mean how do you make that real sort of I mean, not even like a transition, but just like a seamless one to the next sort of thing. How how does that work? Funnily enough,
1: I was talking about this this morning, um, and it's something that we do within Market One, which is one way to do it. We call it the the warm lead handoff, and that's mm. when your qualifier sets up the call and attends the call along with sales, and, and, and so there's a there's a very smooth smooth um, handoff at that point. So you know, there's a proper transition for the for the uh, uh, for the, the person you're you're selling to in the middle. Um, when we were talking about this, I, I was actually discussing kind of lead management process, and we actually got to a point where we were asking asking, and, and this is a bit extreme. We were actually asking whether a status of SQL was necessary at all, because <clears throat> it, you could get a you if you've got relatively good qualification and you have that that moment. Uh, uh, that that conversation, that warm lead handoff meeting, the the salesperson, yes, they could decide that they need to do a bit more work on it, or it they could it could almost go straight from a a TQL or a TGL to an opportunity with nothing in between. Now that that may be right. a bit extreme, but it, you're you're absolutely right to ask the question and to to think about that moment of transition.
0: And I do like that process too, though it sounds like it's a much more efficient transition because usually. If the BDR takes the call, they're gonna set up a task for the account executive, and then they just kind of hands off from there. And there's no conversation that takes place between the BDR closing that initial qualification call and then the agent. Yeah, and having that shared
2: phone call, you force that. don't force that conversation. You encourage that conversation, right? And it's kind of like you you set up the 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 BDR, the SDR, who you know may or may not be a, like a more junior salesperson than the AE, but you kind of set them up in a place where they're doing a bit of show and tell in real time, and that you know just people being people, that sort of encourages them to make sure the thing that they're showing and telling is a good thing, is a thing that other people want to see. It probably only takes one or two times presenting a bad opportunity to an AE before they get that sort of that shame, that motivational Mm, shame. That's my, Yeah.
3: (laughs) That's my thing is how often do these AEs get off that intro call and are like, well, that was crap. (laughs) (laughs) Like there was no, you know, like I.
2: We actually use the SAL. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for saying that, but we actually, we actually use the SAL and it it turned out to be a super productive uh, means of, um, means of making the transition from marketing all the way through to the AEs with the SDRs kind of kind of bridging that gap. And essentially an MQL is when it gets passed to the SDRs. The SDRs do their work. They have a status of qualified. So from MQL to qualified, qualified creates the opportunity. And then from qualified to SAL is actually the point at which the AE can come in and, and sort of, if you like, veto the opportunity, right? So the AE will then accept the opportunity, which moves the lead, the individual status, do SAL and then sort of the comp structure is is, is tied that way, and uh, and going back to what you're saying before, yeah. it really it really puts the motivation around the thing that we want each sort of person in that in that assembly line to do. Um, so far, it's working pretty well.
3: Absolutely, have to comp based on accepted lead for sure, um, and whether it's an SAL or it's some type of status that they set in the CRM, like we you have to have a, a formal action that the sales rep has to take to say I am accepting this lead Mm -hmm. from marketing um I don't know Aaron your earlier question like my head kind of went in a few different places because I've I have been responsible for MDRs before and then I've also worked in you know work like in organizations where there was a lot of experimentation between should you know should sdrs report to marketing should they report to sales like should there be some weird dotted line thing going on um and i the one thing that i can say is reps that handle inbound leads are not the same animal as reps that do yeah. outbound um And I don't know that it necessarily makes sense for those folks to be separated, like for one to sit on marketing and one to sit on sales, but I think it is absolutely important to recognize that you're hiring for two different beasts there. Um, Obviously the benefit of having them report, the inbound folks to report into marketing is that there's better likelihood that the inbound reps gonna get the context of, you know, what campaigns are we running? What did this person engage with? you know that that type of thing. Um, you have to try a little harder if if they sit in sales. Um, but I don't I don't I know it's a question that everybody asks about where they should sit, and I don't know that I have like a you know a solid one way response on that. But i think it just has to be there has to be a mutual commitment to to following the process to providing the feedback and really that you know accountability the other thing that i wanted to raise too in terms of what that qualification looks like is one thing i've noticed is a lot of um variation in what how quality is defined from a lead quality standpoint so you know, early in my career, it was bant. <laughs> and, you know, it was basically like these account executive wouldn't take the lead until it was, you know, we called them silver platter leads, like, they've got budget approved, they're the decision maker, they, you know, are planning on doing the project in the next three months, like, you know, tied up with a little bow and like, Handed over um, at Olive, we used Champ, Champ. Never heard of that. What is which, that? which? I don't know. If you,
2: no, yeah, I've seen so, Medic and Bant and all those, all those. But I haven't seen Champ. Medic, Champ. Yeah.
3: So we used Champ for the SCR qualification, and then the sales reps actually use Medic for opportunity qualification. But Champ is—it's basically like a softer version hmm. of Bant. It's challenge, authority, money, priority. So, the they have to have a challenge that you believe you can solve
2: as the vendor. Yeah, where's the H? They have to challenge authority, money, and priority. That's (laughs) champ
3: champ with the H Uh... challenge. You know, there's a marketer (laughs) behind that. I didn't make this stuff up. This is just. It's funny because the the sales guy, the, the sales VP that introduced that concept, like, would get irritated with me because I would always say this is, like, a lower, this is a softer version of Bant. Like, he, in his mind, it was, like, the same level of, of quality that we were trying to drive for, and I... I was like it's not but that's yeah, okay. what's his name so ban- we can is-
0: include that in the, in
3: the <laughs> <one>. <laughs> <laughs> like who, who says ban well and what's interesting too is then when we actually um when we ch- transitioned to a full account-based marketing approach to where we were only targeting about 270 accounts in North America we the sales reps didn't want champ they wanted shop mm. oh what's they said, give us somebody with challenge, a challenge that we can solve and the authority to make a decision and we'll take it from there. They were like, give me a meeting mm. and that's all I want. So, I mean, it's an example of, of how that line can move over time based on your your business strategy and also the importance of just that communication with sales of like what that and agreed upon. Line wherever it wherever it's gonna sit.
1: Surely it's also gonna it's also gonna affect whether you're going for champ or bant or, or whatever you're going for affects. Shall we say the the, the experience of you know, uh, of your SDRs <clears> as opposed to yeah uh, as to as to so I mean if you're looking for bant then a lot more work is going to be done before.
3: Well, yeah, the SDR that- is going to hang on to that lead for six months potentially.
1: And they're exactly. going to have to put exactly. a lot of effort
3: in over time versus, and the sales you know, just going
1: to have a lovely, a lovely closing conversation and, uh, and, and ride off into the sunset. On, yes. With their on commission.
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I, you know, I obviously have worked in several businesses where the sales, where it was, you know, enterprise SaaS sales, you're looking at, you know, Buying committees and very long sales cycles, and and certainly there's still a lot of work left to be done, um, just to get through procurement and legal and and all of that. But um, but yes, and I didn't always think that the the SCRs that had to produce the bant leads were comp- well, and it kind of drove bad behavior too because nobody really wants to actually work on a lead for six right. months. So just give me the, the contact us inquiries that have already, you know, defined everything that they need that I can just convert and handle. I, that's what quickly. it goes back to.
2: Right. I mean, like any sort of, any sort of funnel operations project is really the, you know, we say like people process technology, but it's really like people process technology, mm-hmm. you know, cause you do have, you do have these, these, you know, Apes in clothing and funny hats and stuff on the on the other side of the process that you're building, and they are just they're just emotional, you know. Sometimes scared, sometimes happy, sometimes just animals, like in the in the best sense of the term. Uh, on the other end, just just trying to get through their day, you know. And, and it we sit here sort of armchair quarterback. Well, this is the best way to do it, and you know we're gonna increase profits by. 1.5% if we do this and, and so on and so forth. And, and it's just like, I think sometimes the, the the people get lost on the other side of that. And you end up with situations exactly like you're describing where there's there's, there's like not bad behavior, but sort of human behavior that sort of wasn't accounted for in the, in the, in the planning stages, right? The, the lowest, the easiest possible way to, to hit the goals. And that's, that's, I don't know, I think marketers kind of know that. From from top of funnel campaigns, that if you if you put out this really complex message in your display ads, or you know you you focus all your search dollars on on really obscure long tail keywords, you get this you get this sort of uh, diminishing returns in the sense that maybe somebody's going to click on it just to see what it means, but then over time it's not going to perform as well as the one punchy. You know, sort of value word that really has nothing to do with your product, but just kind of gets people in the door. In that sense, right? We're really just we're really just figuring out motivational structures to get humans to do the things that we that we want them to do without us having to stand over their shoulders and say, "Do the thing, do the thing, do the thing." You know, it's it's a fantastic challenge. Oh,
3: absolutely. Have to understand the motivation. You have to understand the the motivations of the individuals that you are trying to influence but it's it's funny like i like i my where my head always goes is performance mm. management strategy you got to make sure that the goal that the way that you goal people and comp people is going to drive the behavior that you are seeking what about markers? what about funnel markers
2: so if you're um, I mean, we've been talking a lot about sales here and if sales are comp let's say let's say we're in that magical land where sales are comp on on all the right behaviors Despite whether they drive opportunity, or whether their comp structure is tied to opportunities, um, what about marketers? Like, where do I think marketers kind of divide the world in being somewhat variable comp, somewhat you know base salary? I think the complaint from sales is that marketing doesn't have any skin in the game, so they're just throwing over garbage leads to hit their mm-hmm. lead number, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what do you, what do you think about marketers being on that that sort of motivational comp structure as well?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think what's typically most successful is if you can comp based on the metrics that they can most likely influence. Um, You know, it's interesting. I have a client right now who, it's so funny, like I, like I'm, you know, primary customers the demand center operations team that oversees campaigns and campaign operations and they're complaining that digital isn't getting on board and like digital owns the paid media strategy, uh, paid media budget particularly search and they're not running cam- they're not running ads they're not running campaigns that align to like the global campaign themes that the global campaigns team is putting together And they're trying to get digital to get on board. And digital is basically like, "Mm, no, because digital is comped on form fills Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and new contacts. And they're like, I can run very like product specific keyword ad campaigns. And I get people that are searching specific, know that they need something, search for it, find it, fill out the form. And that's going to be way better than me trying to do any kind of long tail solution based, you know, campaign, like campaigns that are going to align to the more complex solution selling that the, that the global campaigns team are trying to, trying to achieve. Right. So
2: quantity goes up, everybody hits their number and quality, quality. Takes and the it's nose just, off. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's so
3: interesting, but I, well, and what's interesting to me is there's a lot of organizations that don't actually even comp marketing um and i think that is a mistake um but yeah you do have to really think through what is the right metric and how do they actually all if if you set it up correctly whatever the marketer is driving and comped on is going to have a direct positive impact on the next person down the chain you know what i'm saying so like
2: yeah yeah
3: yeah so
2: Yeah, and I feel like that that perspective gets missed often. There's no, there's no. I think the weird thing about the sales and marketing sort of well what was formally sort of these is characterizes these siblings butting heads. I think that we kind of moved past that in the in the. I mean, at least in the U.S. Anyways, um, what 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 sort of hasn't changed is that there's no as you were talking about earlier. There's no sort of like overarching funnel owner mm-hmm. that kind of sees end to end sees the behaviors that we're looking for at the top of the funnel the behaviors that we're looking for from the team at the at the mid funnel and at the bottom funnel and kind of architects the process to to align there. i mean
3: isn't that the chief it's, revenue it's officer aaron aren't they <laughs> supposed to be over marketing and sales they, so usually mean, they're just salespeople that depends. ended up getting a CRO title, but that's a whole nother,
2: <laughs> that's yeah, another topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, uh, I know. And that's the funny thing is like titles kind of like are, are all over the place, right? Like marketing ops, sales ops,
1: revenue, ops.
2: revenue ops. Right. I mean, like it's, it's tough when this, I think of this stuff as the most important thing that an organization could be spending their time on because it's if you know if we're talking about building a product this is your this is your sort of core code base that ultimately keeps your product functioning when users are out there doing all the fancy stuff right um, this this sort of funnel operations if we if it just kind of put a put a term on it is the most important core code that is going to keep your sales and marketing. And, and revenue, whatever teams you have, that are affected by the, the generation of, of new customers. Uh, it's going to keep that group running in a seamless, in a scalable, in a reportable way, such that you know some exec can look at the look at the dashboard and say, oh, this is happening. We need to do more of this. Or a product manager can look at the dashboard and say, oh, this product's selling more than this other one. Well, let's do more of that product, right? Or how much they, How much is coming
3: you're... down the pipe so that I can prepare? Like if you've got an implementation team, you know, onboarding, like it's really important to be able to forecast accurately. But don't you think, so honestly, like, right. like even the whole concept of lead to revenue and even what we're talking about is is a little, could be claimed as a little dated. I mean.
2: It, it might be. <laughs> <laughs>
3: might be just a little, I mean. Honestly, like is cause as soon as you start getting into account based anything, which let's be honest, that's how salespeople sell. Um, mm-hmm. they it kind of, you know, it it falls apart a little bit. Like I I almost I don't know, it gets you into the conversations of like, should you even be using the lead object in CRM anymore? Marry, right,
1: right. Mary, uh, don't, I
0: know. Don't get you me love started. <laughs> don't get me oh, go started. Go on, Mary. Go on. Give it's us your girl is gonna come out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well no, like literally, let's talk about what like next gen lead to rev looks like for a hot minute.
2: Yeah.
3: Because I mean we had to set it up at Olive. And again, the same client that I was talking about earlier, they're they're trying to get away from the MQL altogether. Not like not not to not have mqls anymore but that it, that not be the kpi that again back to like let's drive the behaviors that are actually going to result in the best business outcome which they're essentially trying to make the case that like the mql is not that anymore but anyways mary thoughts on use of the lead okay
0: <laughs> she's, like, we she's like damn it I didn't want to go, go here
3: <laughs> well
0: I think but it, I think it serves a very distinct purpose because you know going back to the point earlier not everything is going to close and if you eliminate that that lead process that lead function now you could potentially be inflating pipeline unless you create some sort of process for being able to track leads that maybe it's like a pre-pipeline status, but still like most CRMs are not built in that manner. Most CRMs are, a lead can be anything. A lead doesn't need to be someone filled out a form or someone um, attended an event. It could be, hey, I got a name. Like I was just chatting with some dude at Starbucks and there's Mm -hmm. a potential opportunity here. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to add them as a new opportunity in your CRM because, again, it could go nowhere. There needs to be some sort of qualification process that takes place. And I think that's where the lead um, serves its purpose in the CRM because you have that option. The CRMs are built in that manner to qualify that lead, to disposition that lead appropriately, and then to integrate that back into marketing so that marketing can continue to nurture or do what marketing does best But yeah, I mean, if you have this, this scenario, and I've had a couple of clients who have attempted to completely eliminate the concept of the lead, like everything is an opportunity. And what happens is you have to basically hack your CRM and your processes so that everyone is working out of the same area within CRM. And you're using the CRM in a method that it it wasn't built to, um, you know, to, to deliver as. So I... I humbly push back, and I—the lead is not dead.
2: <laughs> well, let me let me give you a counterexample, right? So, I there's a client that I was working with in, in, a, a while ago. Uh, I w- won't mention the name, uh, and they, um,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and they, so they use the lead object. They're very very focused on using the lead object, and they really doubled down on on exactly the. Um, we're going to kind of give this a little bit of a hyperbole here What you're just describing the lead as a throwaway object, right? As something to just sort of record, there might be some potential there. And then if there isn't, then no harm, no foul. And if there is, then great, you know, moving on to contact and and create an opportunity, et cetera. Um, So this, this particular client was using the lead object in a way that seemed, that seemed uh, really short-sighted in the sense that they were creating a new lead every time a contact took a qualifying action such that a a given contact in in MAP could have multiple leads open in CRM at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So I request a demo, I attend a demo, I talk with somebody on chat, right? Those are all three qualifying uh, actions. And then I now have three leads in CRM for, and this was their major problem, that were being sent to to various reps to follow up with. So so on their on their experience side, right, customers were getting followed up with on from four different angles. And there was no way to sort of de-dupe once it came, once it became a lead object, because they were intentionally creating these duplicates. Um, it, it, and I'll, I'll just summarize by saying the lead object has its place. It's not right for everybody. It's it's very right for some processes and it's it's kind of like, oh you can go this way or that way on some. And then, you know, the other, the other portion is uh, no, no leads, no leads ever. I mean, I think, (laughs) yeah, I mean,
3: you know, the one thing to keep in mind and and this is, I, you know, I was not a part of Salesforce when Salesforce became Salesforce, (laughs) but my, you know, my understanding is the lead, the lead object is meant to like... The contact database is meant to be your, let's say gold standard and CRM. Like the, mm-hmm. the contact data is supposed to represent real humans that are actually out there and have their real clean, complete data and information against that record. Lead database can have a lot of junk in it. You wanna protect the contact database, let the junk sit in the lead database. So I, I think that that concept still remains true i think where the variable is is when do you convert um because i have had different scenario you know like i've been in different business scenarios where you know you don't convert until bant is achieved and so the sdr is working this lead record for months or i've been in abm scenarios where once we've confirmed that the lead's data is clean and accurate and that they belong to an account that we are pursuing, it gets converted, not converted Mm -hmm. with an opportunity, but converted and added to that account so that it's being worked from, from within the confines of the account record. So I think there's a little bit of dependent, you know, variables there on like, when is, when is the conversion? But yes, I, I, I knew I would hit a hot button with this one on, with Mary because she was like, don't duplicate the your own needs. I
2: had we did, uh, we did a so was at a, a startup a while ago called full spy out of Boston. Um, and they're, you know, they've, they've got on to be huge with, with, you know, a little bit of help for yours truly. Uh, the point of the story is they they use the aql right so so at one point they were using uh, they're using leads and converting leads to contacts in an mql fashion so so map was fully synced to leads and every time an mqL hit, it would change the status of a lead and then and then reps would look the lead from there and convert you know based on on opportunity creation It was a real it was something that they ended up hiring a huge sales team to process because the volume of leads that we were sending we are doing like fifteen hundred. MQLs in a month, right? It was just too great for their for their small BDR team to process. So they ended up with this huge BDR team and kind of came to this this decision point, like, well, if we keep exponentially scaling leads, we're gonna have to exponentially scale the, the BDR team, but we're gonna get to a point where this just isn't. You're good hiring work. so high paid de-
3: data processors
2: at that point. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and 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 it, you know, goes to the duplication problem where you just you have you know one rep from one team working with one contact at the same account as another rep from another team, and they're not talking to each other, and they're setting different expectations. And then when those two people at the one account talk to each other, you kind of create this this dissonance of of, of sales messaging, which we all know kind of runs in the wild, wild west of of uh, you know things we would ever put in an ad or an email. Uh, but the, but the point of the story is we, we got to the AQL project and it, it simplified. And actually created more space, more time for reps to qualify multiple uh, uh, con- leads at a given account, account mm-hmm. create the opportunity, and then as you just said, work, send the account, send the AQL with the opportunity to AEs to be worked as a, as a sort of collective body. So the, the BDRs went from qualifying individuals to qualifying several individuals at the same account, associating to the, them to the opportunity in the right roles. And then kind of having this package, this very well-researched package, right, you know, handed off to the AE. And we found that our close times dropped very quickly uh, once we made the shift to ABM and that, you know, everybody had a little bit more freedom to not be focused on thousands of dials and emails a day and more focused on generating that quality stuff.
3: Did you guys have any kind of lead to account matching going on so that while they're working those AQLs, they could still have visibility into who all at the account was being worked?
2: Yeah, custom code. Um, I forget what we used, but essentially we duplicated. So you can, you can associate leads with accounts, but we, we used a like fuzzy match for uh, the account name in the company field on the lead object. Right. Mm -hmm. So you could see the relationship there, but it wasn't, it wasn't permanently associated. So if a lead turned out to be a junk lead or Someone that you know wasn't relevant or something like that. Um, they didn't have to associate it with the with the account. Mm-hmm.
1: So, mm-hmm. so, so guys, I mean, shut me down if it's irrelevant, but we're seeing more and more uh, the appearance of sales engagement platforms where you know, leads are being worked. Yeah, just a, a question: Is there an argument that you know the CRM actually? I'm not saying it's dead, but its its role is changing, and actually, your your CRM ends up sitting there only for opportunities and everything else is going on in your scp is that a direction is that relevant Mm, that's a scary
3: question yeah i mean so i only i have experience (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah is that a big no mary
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i know where mary's head's going which is that there needs to be full visibility of of the engagements occurring with any given contact and account and that needs and therefore that needs to sit in a single repository whether it be CRM or CDP or you go build some fancy view of the customer dashboard that integrates a bunch of different stuff but i would just you know most people do the CRM route practically speaking um organizations that i've been a part of that have used SEPs they they integrated the scp fully with crm so the -hmm. leads would sit in crm but be worked out of the scp but then any activity or data that was being inputted into the scp would make its way into crm and maybe you're maybe that's a waste of you know data moving around and being stored in multiple places but that's the setup that I've typically well, me, seen.
2: Let, I think it depends on how. Let it's me ask Giff's question from a different direction, because okay. because yeah, because I think you're, you're about to say right, like custom implementation, right? Like some some version of custom implementation required. And I think if you ask if you ask Gift's question as as uh, the CRM as we know it was designed twenty twenty five thirty years ago, the whole concept of a CRM as we know it today is is really before. All of the modern innovations of sales and marketing, a funnel customer journey, like when the CRM was first designed, customer journey, like that concept didn't even exist. Mm-hmm. The the serious decisions demand waterfall, as we know it right now, wasn't even an idea, right?
0: I want to bring this back to metrics because we've touched on it. We've sprinkled and thrown up on it a little bit all throughout this conversation around performance. And we've talked about performance at a couple of different levels. So we've talked about executive dashboards, about performance at the BDR level. And so easily when organizations think about, okay, well, how are we going to measure success? It is so easy to get into this analysis paralysis where everyone is trying to measure everything, every single point. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, you have various different roles looking at these reports and they can't make sense of them because it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't resonate with them. So when we start breaking that up a little bit, you know, what are, what are some key metrics that you guys would think about and think about it across different roles from, um, you know, the, the BDR perspective, from an account manager perspective, and then at the executive tier. So what are some of those key metrics that, you know, maybe one, maybe three that, um, that people would want to consider even just starting out, let's not talk about the whole roadmap, just starting out, what do you need to focus on?
2: Yeah. So Okay. So let me, let me take a stab at this here. So, so the, the thing, I mean, Packet Room is a very interesting company in terms of the product they offer. I think what makes them special from a startup perspective is the team and the team culture, right? Any, any company I think is only going to be successful so far uh, with a product. And it really comes down to the team being able to work together and to execute on a plan and to execute... On whatever process or something like that, so so I don't I don't know the exact metric that comes to mind, but something something that captures the effectiveness of of working together, right? Of of contributing your part. If, the, if we think about the funnel as a an assembly line or as a as a sort of uh, synchronization dance or something like that, we're all doing water polo dance at the same time. Um, some sort of metric that shows the the unity of action, and I don't. I don't really have a thing for that, but if there was something that could capture that, that sort of looked across all of these individual stage conversions and how many this did I create and how many that did they create, I feel like that's, that's missing, missing the forest for the trees. What you're really looking for is something that shows that cooperation. Are we doing the thing that we set out to do and are we doing it well?
3: You went in a completely different direction than my head was going. (laughs) Although maybe not, maybe not entirely. But the comment that I was going to make is that KPIs are what you report out to the business, but where the opportunity to really manage in partnership and optimize comes in the, the rates, like the conversion rates. Like you have to understand out of this universe that we're working in, like, how successful are we at getting them from point A to point B to point C? And in in my mind, that's what you need to manage against: is the conversion rates between stages, teams, funnels, whatever you know, whatever it is. Like, like that's I think where where the you know more of the focus should be. Yeah, I think, Aaron, what you're talking about almost makes me think of, honestly, like account scoring, account engagement scoring. So especially if you have a sales activity component to that model or some way to distinct distinguish between accounts that are marketing engaged versus sales engaged versus both, um, and how successful, you know, like what percentage of those are actually turning into pipeline versus ones that are not, um, Mm. you know, might be, might be, I mean, I know like when we implemented account engagement scoring at Olive, like the sales reps got super excited. Like it was like the first time that I've ever had salespeople say, I love this, give me more, you know, like when we (laughs) built out dashboards for it but I think Mary to your point you know like my guess is Aaron probably at Pachyderm like there's a little bit more of an appetite for data than in some other organizations so I think that is a factor too of like at the culture of the organization and how data centric or data driven they are is going to somewhat dictate the you know the metrics and how many of them you you know would actually come up with but i mean mary i yep. i don't know there's so many there's so many <laughs> there's so many potential metrics that could be included in this conversation you know i think first like the sales management like senior sales management that i've worked with You know, they obviously want to understand pipeline, but they want to understand movement within the pipeline. So, you know, from last quarter to this quarter, how much, not just how much have we sold, but how much forward momentum do we have? Um, And are we refilling the pipeline? Um, You know, like, okay, so we're going to have a great quarter this quarter, but is there enough pipeline to actually, um, you know, sustain us over the next quarter's? And then velocity, obviously, with that pipeline as well. I think the, I mean, acceptance rate of leads is going to be a big one because it's
2: because mm. if it's crosses a couple teams there.
3: Yeah, I think obviously with BDrs aging is going to be a big one.
2: What about uh, like if you were able to, let's say you're working out, you're in a market where you could get some pretty accurate sizing on the TAM. Like what about market penetration? I mean, if you could track market penetration quarter to quarter, you may, I mean, that might be the, the sort of, because you're not talking about revenue. You're not talking about opportunity. You're not even talking about stage creation, which to be honest, is going to change from year to year. You're, you get this sort of like 30,000 foot view of is the team doing the thing? And I always like whenever I think about I, this is kind of weird here, but I was thinking about Netflix, Netflix, supposedly, and I, I don't know anybody there. So I don't know how real this is, but supposedly has this culture where they encourage their managers to think about uh, other people on their team as will this person um, uh, drive success six months from now? And they have this really harsh sort of, you know, view on that. And if the answer is no or maybe or I don't know. Then they, you know, obviously invite that person to move on and uh, and and, uh, and hire somebody new. That um, seems like a really really negative way to go. And I, I I do like the idea of that team culture collaboration thing. And I I wonder, you know, as we grow up in the dark here for a metric that that hits the nail on the head. Because I, I think what you're saying is 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 very aligned with, with with what I'm thinking about here. Stage conversion really is the best that we have at this point to say, you know. Is the is the assembly line working in the way that we think it is? You know.
0: So, Erin, uh, I, I think that's how we we determined that you were leaving Market One as we went through that same <laughs> ah, approach.
2: Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I love how you said
3: yeah. that. Invite them to move on. That is very <laughs> very uh, move along. yeah. Move along. Oh my god. I don't know, Mary. What do you What are your thoughts on the right metrics?
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go with the the governance aspect too. Like I, you know, I, I appreciate the the sales management executive type dashboards. Um, you know, at the BDR level, we want to look at the the volume coming in. But then, you know, I always come back to the the process and the system adoption, and that always leads me to governance. So I want to understand if this process is real is truly working. So I want to understand, you know, how many steps is it taking to actually contact or reach out to Mm -hmm. a prospect and qualify them and move them to that next stage? Or how many um, even call attempts is it going to take to reach out to them? And then how many clicks is it taking? Like even down to that level, how many clicks is it taking to convert a lead? How many clicks is it taking to qualify a lead every single time? Because in the end, the only way that this process is going to be successful is if you make the the tech and the process and the the functions within your your tech easy enough for your users to onboard onto that process, but then also maintain. If you make it as complex as possible, no one's going to adopt it. Mm-hmm. And you know, in yeah. the end, marketing and sales, we need to track our metrics. But if you're not making the systems, um, you know, complementary to their qualification process, they'll never. They'll never embrace it. So I always go towards the governance. And in the end, I just want to make sure that the platform is optimized, not customized, optimized, um, you know, based on what the the BDR and um, the account manager's processes are.
2: I, I love that. I think that's that's really powerful. I, the, and I was sort of thinking as you were, as you were saying, like, like, is there a, is there a, Sort of false expectations set by looking at how many clicks to to a lead or or how many touches to an opportunity or et cetera like that. The false expectation being that you could optimize that number down to one for every stage. And I wonder for some businesses, it's probably always going to be you know some unattainable asymptote of three or or seven or whatever it is. But setting the context around like this is what we're headed towards, right? It's such a it's such a meta metric that it really doesn't say anything specific about tactics or about budget allocations or about who's on your team. It really creates this sort of very defined endpoint that allows teams to sort of self-organize again. So I really, really like that. I think it's I think it's solid. Now the attribution framework to uh, to measure it all accurately. Oh God, Lord! Oh, don't let's save
3: a
0: minute. that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole podcast in itself. I think. I think so.
0: All right. Well, go ahead, Gip. Oh my God, my dog just fell over. What the hell, Monty? Are you okay? Goodness. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Is uh, he okay? He <laughs> he's all right. He he likes to he likes to take in the sun, the morning sun. So he usually just you know gently because he's an old guy now. He's almost eight gently just tries to lay down by the door but this time he just like threw himself Plopped. down yeah and like his paws slammed on the door and
1: okay,
3: Monty. yeah what were you going to say gif
1: i wanted to add something left field as a metric it's it's simple but, but the fact that you guys talked to us about you know you can't just build a process regardless of the people so the people themselves and their, uh, their level of happiness. I know it's kind of a soft Mm. KPI almost, but if there was some way to, you know, I mean, it's part of adoption and governance. An NPS for the lead Um, management process. Oh
3: God, that would be, uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know it might be a bit much, but it's just thinking, uh, thinking about, you know, you, you've got these people delivering against this process, um, you know, are, are they are they happy delivering against this process? I mean, I suppose the answer is are they getting comfortable not? They may be that simple. But no, I think it's worth yeah, for I sure. I mean, um, interesting.
3: You know, in if you're gonna put heavy resource and effort into getting a group of people to adopt a change, then monitoring their satisfaction with it over time might be a good way to like mm. measure whether your efforts are making any
1: difference yeah well they're the guys using it aren't, aren't they you, you know you've designed it but you know that they're, they're the guys using I think you just yeah. have to be you'd so, have to be
3: like i'm just envisioning like a s- survey being distributed every yeah, six months know, or something you'd have so to be difficult. very well, careful yeah, about like how you, you ask the question well yeah but i'm almost wondering like because asking the question of on a scale of zero to 10, how likely are you to promote this to a friend versus asking a question like, do you believe this process has value? Like could be very different. You know what I'm saying? So I think you have to think about the the right questions to ask.
2: Well, I mean, keeping with the net promoter framework, it's, it's, it probably one to 10 would you advocate for continuing this process mm-hmm. or shifting to something new? Some unknown new, right? And you might get a, you might get a little bit of a, of a false positive with people's fear reaction to anything new. Um, but I do, I do kind of like that, Gif, I do like, and we actually just started doing this at Packard. I'm thinking about the funnel, and, and uh, so, so I run the ops team, and, uh, and thinking about the funnel itself as the product that the ops team delivers. And so to use an NPS score, as you, as you've described is, is, I mean, that's right on target. That makes, that makes a hundred percent. sense. Right. Huh? And you would sort of balance it out Good. with, with, you know, sending <laughs> it all to everybody up and down the funnel. I mean, you, you, you'd send it to, you'd probably send it to the execs, you'd send it to the managers, you'd send it to the, the ICs all along the funnel. And you, you would get some people that say, yeah, I'm not happy because I'm not hitting my commission number, but you get other people who say I'm really happy because I'm hitting my commission number. Um, I wonder. I'm gonna I'm gonna test that out.
0: <laughs> All right. Um oh. well, Good. You want me to just kind of we, we, we wrap try to make a
1: difference on these podcasts, <laughs> Mary?
0: You know, if we're, we're trying to wrap this up, like the first part is, is getting that buy in, so sharing a common goal across the organization and really showing the organization the benefit of this change how is this going to impact their current process in a positive manner? You know, Aaron, you touched on dollar growth, so if we were to do this, then this is how we're going to expand, but it could also be growth in um, you know, time and resource efficiencies as well. Um, we touched on, you know, as you start establishing what that new process is going to look like, but keeping up that adoption rate by continuing to show them the benefit, like creating this ambassador program where we're um, you know, continuing to show them, you know, here's, here's, I don't know, more efficient ways that, that you can be um, leveraging the system or qualifying your leads. Um, We also touched on maintaining that success by creating this positive Mm. impact through shared goals and a comp plan as well. So basing that comp plan based on the metrics that they can influence. Um, We also talked about the tech as well. It always comes down to the tech. We touched on CRMs, on SEPs as well, but really in the end, it's about making this seamless for your users. So no matter if they're using multiple systems or one system, they primarily, they're going to be focused on selling and not the administration aspect. And we kind of brought all this back together with measuring success. So um, if we think about those key areas that we want to measure, so we want to measure conversions, just starting out conversions between stages, between the teams throughout the funnel, we touched on governance as well. So um, making sure that, um, you know, what we're what we're implementing is, uh, is actually working. But um, you know, Aaron, you, you touched on something very early on that I wrote down that I thought was great. So it kind of brings us all back to where where this all started and really why the organization is deciding to design or maybe redesign their lead to revenue process. But, you know, Aaron, the way you phrase it is are we doing the thing we set out to do and are we doing it right?
2: Awesome. Let me say a quick thank you to uh, my team at Packet Room, Joey Zwicker, our COO and co founder, Joe Dulliner. Uh, CEO uh, CEO and co-founder and my partners, my fantastic partners on the sales team, Jackson and Mora. really really grateful to be working with you both.
1: It only remains to, uh, for us to thank Jenny Cummersford and Aaron Doherty for such an enlightening conversation. And uh, if you want to find out more about the podcasts that we have, more about Market one or of course more about lead management, you can always uh, just visit us at marketone.com/ funnority.